right. Are we, um, okay, are we, are we ready? ready? <laughs> I think, maybe. Welcome to Infinite Insights, the podcast designed for all TK-12 math teachers. I'm Maggie Peters, math consulting teacher for the Rincon Valley School District here in Northern California. Ring-a-ling ding, ring-a-ling ding. And, and uh, we're just going to keep going because I'm Dwayne Hobecker, math coordinator for Merced County Office of Education. <laughs> Every other week, Dwayne and I will share a new math research study or article or some other mathy thing. We'll talk it over, bounce ideas off of each other, and think about how to implement it in the classroom. Yeah, and we're going to do that after we mute our phones. It's my house phone. <laughs> it never rings. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, I don't even have a house phone. You know, neither does my brother. He just uses his cell phone all the time. He keeps telling me yeah. silly. Yeah. We moved into the new house in Merced, no house phone, and we're totally cool with it. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like I need it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I'm old it's school like, like that, man. Yeah, your security blanket. I want Uh-oh. a phone, yeah. And half of the time it's, you know, because it's cordless, it's dead anyway, but hey, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> or I couldn't find yeah. it. It was always missing. I, I can never find it. I'm pressing the little base station and I hear some sort of <laughs> muted beep somewhere. But Oh, gosh. I'm glad you're with me. So do we. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. I would love for you to start out, start us out today because the ideas for today's show and the next actual several shows came to you via Twitter. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, okay. Um, the thing I love about Twitter is um it's a community it's a real live genuine community and we have people who've been listening to us because they've been tweeting at us and these next series of podcasts are courtesy directly from a dude named eric lee and so everybody who's listening to this podcast serious shout out to eric lee and on twitter he's at the Eric Lee. And the tricky thing is Eric is E-R-I-C-K. And then Lee is L-E-E. So the Eric Lee uh, on Twitter. And he uh, he gave us this suggestion of a, a, like a report, I guess. We'll talk more about it. But it's it's covering 10 questions. And so I anticipate we're next the next several podcasts are going to be from this one suggestion so before we get started anybody else man if you guys have or if you're aware of some sort of research that you would like maggie and me to to read about and then distill it and turn it into a a 20 minute podcast please tweet us um maggie what's your twitter thing pele lover at Pe- is it one though? Are you like Pele one? Uh, it may be. Yes, at Pe- <laughs> <laughs> I clearly oh, haven't really joined the community because <laughs> it's at Pele Lover one. No. Yes. Yes, Pele Lover one. Uh, Pele Lover one, and I'm uh, D Habecker. I'm I'm kind of boring. So if anybody out there has a question or a research article that you would like us to read, send it to us, and uh, we'll read it and we'll talk about it because that's exactly what Eric Lee did. So serious shout out to Eric Lee. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Yes, and you I want to thank uh, him as well because I really actually mm-hmm. liked this article a lot. At first, I mean, it's it's. I, I don't even know how many pages. It's 93 pages. So when I first opened it up, I was like, what on earth are we getting ourselves into? 
And I read, so it's broken up into 10 sections. And um, hence the reason the title of the article is 10 Questions for Mathematics Teachers and How PISA Can Help Them. And as I started getting into it, I realized how it's compiled so much research into one document and has laid it out so friendly that anybody could access it. So it, I like was very excited with, with what I was seeing right from the beginning. So yeah, even I was able to read it and understand it. So, so that's how good it, they did. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so PISA stands for Program for International Student Assessment, and that's a nice test. But who are these people and why should we listen to them? Do you have any sense of, because well, I did a little bit of research on All this. right. Well, I just know that PISA develops tests that are, aren't directly related to school curriculum. They assess basically to the extent of what student or how students can apply their knowledge to real life. Uh, you know, or sorry, how they can apply their knowledge and skills to real life problems. And then they mm-hmm. test a whole bunch of countries to see who's kind of doing, doing good work. Yeah. And it allows us to like, in a legitimate kind of like scientifically appropriate way, allows us to compare countries with other countries. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to insert here. This is done by the OECD. So that's the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. So this is a legitimate organization. They don't really have an agenda other than, you know, there are 35 countries that are members, you know, in this OECD. And their their goal is to stimulate economic progress and world trade. So they, they have an agenda, but it's not, it, it's not a real political agenda in that... Uh, the information they talk about in terms of education is slanted in a bad way. It's like, hey, we know an educated society will create economic growth and it'll enhance world trade. So let's figure out how to educate our children well. Mm-hmm. And so that's where they're coming from. And so this is a legitimate source. So we really want people listening to this mm-hmm. to um, uh, throw away that little cl- cloak of skepticalness. And and just listen and enjoy it and try and learn from this uh, as you as you can because this is this is good. It stuff. It is good stuff. Um, right. And just for a little bit of background, um, they uh, PISA or the yeah PISA they basically yeah. test fifteen year old students um, in each of the participating countries. Um, and they are asked to apply their understanding of math concepts um, related to such areas as like quantity or uncertainty or space and change. Um, and then what's cool is this report takes all the findings from these, these assessments and organizes them into what we're going to be talking about over the next 10 podcasts or so. Um, Mm -hmm. And it talks about these 10 questions, which are um, how much should I direct student learning in my math classes? Are some mathematics teaching methods more effective than others? As a mathematics teacher, how important is the relationship I have with my students? What do we know about memorization and learning math? Can I help my students learn how to learn math? Um, Should I encourage students to use their creativity in math? 
Uh, do students' backgrounds influence how they learn math? Should my teaching emphasize mathematical concepts or how those concepts are applied in the real world? Should I be concerned about my students' attitudes towards math? And what can teachers learn from PISA? So, you know, we're going to be talking about those and and really honing in on the teaching strategies that they looked at, the uh, student learning strategies, um, what kind of curriculum coverage they've had, kids in general across these countries, and then various student characteristics and how they're related to student achievement in math. Nice. And we're, we're going to be talking about all the data that they collected uh, in the, what is it, 2012 uh, mm -hmm. testing cycle. And they, they, so it's while the information is, or the data, the student data is five years old, but it's going to be relevant today because it takes a long, long time to crunch those numbers and make sense of those numbers and then release these nice little mm -hmm. reports. So that's, that's where all the information is coming from. So, uh, let's do number one, question number okay. one, because we are <laughs> hey, shocker, seven minutes into the episode, <laughs> we haven't gotten to the question, but that's all right. So the question, how much should I, as a teacher, how much should I direct student learning in my mathematics classes? All right. So how much should I direct student learning in my mathematics classes? So um, what does, uh, where does mathematics teaching fall in the teacher versus student directed learning debate? So basically for years, it has been teacher directed. Teacher stands at the mm. front of the room, tells the students what to do. They copy basically what they've seen and then practice it repeatedly. Um, because, but it's becoming more commonplace to have student-oriented teaching, um, which is where students are the center of the learning and they kind of guide it. The teacher gives them um, you know, various projects or conversations about the math a little bit more. Um, and, and the article asks really which one is better. And the conclusion, um, you know, so to speak, is it depends on the content and the students being taught. The teachers really have to assess um, what it is. Um, and then it also kind of went into the fact that most teachers, despite, you know, well, despite something, and I'll tell you that in a second. Um, yeah, most teachers are direct teaching right now, um, right. right? And even though they're doing that, kids are finding that they are learning higher math a little bit better um, when it is student-centered. So, Right. And they're, you know, one of the things they said is they, when they surveyed students, they said eight out of 10 students reported that their teachers um, tell them what they have to learn in every lesson. So essentially 80% we're hearing, you know, 80% of the time the teachers are using this teacher centric directed instruction kind of a, kind of a thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. And one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting within that is that um, it the PISA survey indicated that students may be exposed to different teaching strategies based on their socioeconomic status or gender. And I know you and I have kind of talked about that at length in other podcasts, you know, especially about the girls um, in math or women in math. Um, but it this actually 
strengthen that argument that girls reported being less frequently exposed to student-oriented instruction or student-centered instruction in math class than boys did. Um, so boys were given more opportunity to kind of construct that learning. And then what I thought was also interesting was that disadvantaged students um, who were from the bottom quarter of the socioeconomic distribution reported more frequent exposure to student-oriented strategies. I totally thought it would be the opposite, but they got more hands-on types of activities than um, more advantaged students. Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought in my little notes, I put surprising next to that thing as well, because it really surprised me that disadvantaged students um, see that, um, what did we call it, student-directed learning more frequently than other students. And, you know, I, I clicked on one of their footnotes, and we're going to hear what their definition, you know, like what is uh, student-directed student learning. And one of them is they talk about ICT, which is essentially computer technology, mm -hmm. instructional computer technology. So in reflecting about the disadvantaged students and why they may experience a greater degree of student-directed learning, I'm, I'm wondering, and this is just me guessing, if that was uh, because these students who might be struggling are just told to sit at a computer and work on a computer and, and work at your own pace through this level, let's call it iReady or some other kind of, you know, program that just kind of does the teaching in a self-directed way, uh, that maybe that's contributing to uh, that surprising result is, ah, we're struggling with controlling your behavior or we're struggling with trying to teach you guys because you're all kind of falling behind. So get on a computer and that, that counts oh. as student directed, but I'm not sure. I really don't maybe know. Maybe that's another uh, research paper that we can look for and check out. <laughs> sure. Now I did think along those lines is that there is this really tight connection and we, and we want the line on the graph that they, they scatter plot is really kind of sweet. It's where they were talking, where they're comparing um, teaching that is more student directed or more student direct or instruction, student oriented instruction versus the learning. So the teaching versus the learning and the learning is uh, basically more memorization or more like elaboration and conceptual understanding. Mm -hmm. And that they essentially for this section, we want teachers to understand that the more, teacher directed the instruction is the more students are going to just be memorizing things and the more and because they have uh, to memorize because there's nothing right. conceptual for them to hang their learning on so then they right. memorize what the teacher is saying so when kids are really good at memorizing that's why they're good at the old school math yep and then the opposite is when the teaching is really more student oriented that that's when you're going to see more elaboration and more student understanding, more conceptual understanding. Uh, so that's the big takeaway here is this knowing that the style of teaching we do is going to directly imp impact the kind of learning that the students are going to mm -hmm. be doing. Mm -hmm. So let's move to the next section. Which teachers 
use active learning teaching practices in mathematics. Okay. So the TALIS study, this is the Teaching and Learning International study, which is wrapped up in all of this, um, included four active learning teaching practices um, that overlapped in in with the student-oriented practices, and that's placing students into small groups, encouraging students to evaluate their own progress, assigning students long projects, and yours that you had mentioned a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. using ICT or information communications technology for classwork. Um, and by a ton of the research um, studies, it's shown that these things on top of student-oriented practices um, has positive effects on student learning and motivation. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, yeah, in a nutshell for this section, we know that these student-oriented Uh, instructional strategies are effective. Placing students in groups, letting them talk, evaluate their own stuff, their progress. These things are effective. And what um, increases the likelihood of a teacher using these strategies, because just because we know they're effective strategies doesn't mean we do them. So (laughs) what influences and increases the likelihood that a teacher is going to use these effective strategies is when the teacher is confident in their own abilities. uh, And that's when they're more likely to use these active teaching practices. So essentially what this is saying, uh, you know, Jim, Jim Knight, the, the coaching expert, his big four that he talks about is classroom management, uh, and then content, and then instructional strategies and formative assessment. And they mentioned three of those four things in this mm-hmm. section. So if we want teachers to be employing these good strategies, we need to help them. And this article specifically calls out classroom management, content, and pedagogy. Mm-hmm. So we, need, that's, we as coaches need to help our teachers um, uh, grow in those three little categories. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important for teachers to admit when they need some more cognitive or more conceptual understanding to help their kids because it's not a weakness at all. It just means that we weren't taught that way when we were kids. So we need some extra training in this, you know, and we need to get those those teachers, including myself and probably yourself too, to feel comfortable with all of this. So we yeah. are flexible yeah. and can Im- implement those projects or computer, um, you know, projects or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's our, you know, our job as coaches to help foster that, uh, growth mindset with our teachers so that the teachers are willing to ask us questions about content. Why do we multiply by the reciprocal when we're dividing fractions or ask, you know, have that, uh, try and create in a, a culture of, in our teachers where they're allowed to be vulnerable and ask questions like, well, what is a good pedagogical strategy for such and such? And that's going to open the door for helping teachers become more confident in themselves so that they can then employ those strategies that PISA is saying is, you know, across 35 countries we know is effective. So let's move to the next section. How can a variety of teaching strategies benefit student achievement? Um, And this was pretty interesting. The data basically indicates that when teachers direct student learning, students are slightly more successful in solving the 
easiest math problems in P. Yeah. Right? But, yep. yes, but, here's the right. but. As the problems become more difficult, students with more exposure to the direct instruction that you just talked about no longer have a better chance of mm -mm. success. It's, they don't, they can't dive deeper into the harder questions because they can't apply that um, as, as well, I guess. Um, yeah. So what this means is that one teaching method, you know, it's not a, do we do teaching directed or do we do student oriented? It's not an either right. or, it's an and. Right. Because one teaching method is not sufficient to teach all math problems. And what we're learning from this research is uh, teaching complex math skills might require different instructional strategies than when we are trying to teach our students some really basic things. So remember, the more teacher directed it is, the more likely students are going to memorize. Mm -hmm. And that might not necessarily be a bad thing because we're learning when it's easy stuff Direct instruction might be the appropriate strategy for that lesson. Uh, but then we're going to have to do student-oriented instruction because we also want students to be able to grasp that more difficult content, right? Is that kind of what's making yeah, sense to you? Yeah, and I think, I mean, at the very, very beginning, like kind of introduction of this, this article or this particular question, it was saying like teachers have a hard job. They, you know, they are you know, it is one of the most challenging and rewarding professions that we have, but we also have to make decisions like that. We have to mm -hmm. know if it's time to do a direct lesson or not. Yeah. In fact, Singapore, uh, to kind of like wrap up this last little yeah. section, this section is Singapore is a perfect example of that. What they're doing is they're not just doing away with more traditional teacher-directed teaching methods. Rather, what they're doing is they are trying to figure out how to teach, uh, how to use these two strategies, the teacher-directed and the student-oriented, in tandem with one another uh, so that the students get this full exposure to a variety of teaching methods, and it allows them to um, learn everything uh, most efficiently. Right. So we'll end yeah. off with what teachers can do really quickly. Um, mm -hmm. You know what? Plan math lessons that strive to reach all levels of learning. Use those differentiation skills. Use UDL. Um, provide a vi variety of activities and roles for students with different abilities and interests. You got it. And then provide a mix of teacher-directed and student-oriented teaching strategies uh, which is to, you know, try to move beyond the textbook provided lessons and the homework and all that and, and add new activities to lessons that allow students to work together or use new tools, you know, technology or games and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then this one I liked, let the difficulty of the math problem guide the teaching strategy. So basically, mm -hmm. don't always, um, you know, plan for teacher-directed lessons. Um use a harder math problem to then step back and say, okay, well, it looks like you guys need this skill. Let's go ahead and have a little lesson on it. And then you can go on back to the harder problem. Exactly. So I think that's pretty much it. I think it's time to wrap mm -hmm. it up. Dwayne, closing thoughts? Woohoo! So my big main closing thought, it's not either or. It's not, do we do teacher-directed or do we do student-oriented? We actually need both. 
and we're supposed to let the kind of math content that we're teaching dictate which kind of instructional strategy we should be using. And I, and I also walked away thinking, as teachers, we have, we have the ability to choose these times and um, we should really use them to help benefit our students. Got it. So um, let's wrap this up by saying, now everybody who's listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. I got to tell you, this matters. So in your little iTunes or whatever system you're using to listen to this podcast now, hit the subscribe button, perhaps uh, leave a review on iTunes because that helps. And definitely do what Eric Lee did and shout out on Twitter and give us some suggestions. And you can reach Dwayne at dhawbecker or at dhawbecker or me at paleylover1. <laughs> got it. So as usual, have a great week. And we'll see you every other Monday here at Infinite Insights. Take care. All right, bye.